started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. So you really have to understand that in most cases, you're looking at a three to six month process to finally get to results. Mm. Whether you're doing an email strategy, whether you're doing a press strategy, whether you're doing social media, yeah, there's going to be constant like pushes you're going to get from time to time. But for you to really start to hone in on what's driving success of that, you're looking at a three to six month minimum. With PPC in general, it takes three months just to get up and running, right? So you're not going to see real results until six months in. And that can be hard for people to really understand. But it's like, when you started your business, was it successful on day one? Or did you kind of have to like work at it a little bit and move around? Marketing's the same way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Alan. I'm a family man, an attorney, and an entrepreneur. Each week, we provide resources and advice to help build your business. Are you ready? Then let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm very excited for our guest. His name is Dan McGaw. He is an expert in digital marketing, owns an agency. He's big into MarTech. He's an entrepreneur, just knows a lot about business in general, and he knows a lot of things that can help your business. So welcome to the show, Dan. We're glad to have you. Thanks so much for having me here. So what did I miss? I know that you're you're an entrepreneur at heart. You have the kind of this tech background. You have this marketing yeah. background. Tell us about yourself. What are the things that you're passionate about? Well, and thanks for asking. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. So, I mean, I've been in the marketing game for over 20 years. So I got my start in 98, sending mass email since before there was even mass email. So I've just seen some shit, right? I've been around for a long time. Some people recognize me from when I was the head of marketing at Kissmetrics, one of the pioneers in analytics. So I've been around the block with a lot of different cool companies there. So, but I mean, what I'm really passionate about, right, is trying to understand human psychology, trying to figure out how do we make people tick? How do we make people take the next action? And then how do we match that with their data? So leveraging human psychology and trying to understand them and then looking at the behaviors that they're doing in analytics and then creating really, really cool marketing outcomes from that. That's really where I get like excited. And that's how I got so baked into building MarTech stacks is because you really need all that data to to really create those outcomes. Yeah, marketing's different nowadays where, you know, the the more specific and the more niche you can get, you know, the better your results. Back in in the olden days, whatever that means, when clicks weren't <laughs> as as expensive and social media wasn't so flooded, you could, yeah. you know, have a more shotgun approach, right? Like you could just say, yeah. "Hey, you know, I'm paying a few bucks a click." Now they're, you know, in some industries hundreds to thousands of dollars a click, you have to kind of hone in on some of that data, right? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, for sure. You really have to hone in on that data. And you know, uh, it, the cost per click is so expensive that our company won't even pay for PPC uh, wow. on most of the keywords just because MarTech marketing operations is just so hot that people are spending $100, $200 a click. Like it gets out of control because you're competing against big companies like IBM and Oracle, right? Like on these clicks. So especially in the analytics space, it's, it's absolutely absurd sometimes. So leveraging that data, you can find different ways to communicate, different ways to target and attract those customers. And then as well as once you have them, really be able to effectively communicate with them and be able to like target your messaging to the right profile at the right time. So how does MarTech affect small businesses? Yeah. 
For sure. You know, I think MarTech in a small business is difficult because like most small businesses are intimidated by technology in general. Right. For the businesses that are really able to take advantage of it, one, MarTech is going to help you automate your business and get you the hell out of the way. Right. And that's our biggest cost as a small business. I mean, I run two small businesses myself and all I'm trying to do is automate myself out of a job as much as I possibly can. Right. And that's what MarTech's really going to enable you to do in your business. And that's why we recommend people take it so seriously. And, you know, if you're scared of the technology, Hire somebody on Upwork, go to Fiverr, right? But you've got to automate your business because your time, you're not going to get back and you need to make sure that you keep your time. Where are you seeing that small businesses can add more automation, create better systems? What, what are some specific functions of small businesses that you think are kind of missing the boat a little bit with those things? Yeah, a lot of it has to do really inside of the business's operations, right? So whether this be responding back to customer orders, whether this be how the systems are going to communicate so an order can make its place from one place to another, a lot of that can really be automated. It's the internal operations. And I'll kind of just use an example for us, right? One of the things that we have a lot of automation band-aid together with is using a product called Zapier, right? So I wrote a book called Build Cool Shit. And when you order that book from our website, right, there is no direct way to connect it to our fulfillment provider, right? However, through using Zapier and our marketing automation tool, we're able to connect all those things together. So when you order a book on my website, it winds up into the fulfillment center and it's all able to be taken care of. But that wasn't just an out-of-the-box thing. And most people think they need to get a developer, but using technologies like Zapier, I mean, you can connect Google Calendar to Trello and to Slack and then back to QuickBooks. So there's a lot of automation that you can really build into your business using tools like Zapier to do whatever is a redundant process. And, you know, every small business is, is so different that it can be really, really hard to blanket statement there. But a lot of it has to do with, hey, listen, this thing started over here and I've got to manually put it over there. Well, why don't we build an automation to really make that happen? And that's where tools like Zapier really come into play and really help you kind of automate your business. So I have a lot of, you know, owners, entrepreneurs of, of service-based businesses, uh, home services, plumbers, HVAC, pest control companies, a lot of those types of entrepreneurs um, listen to this show. What are ways that that they can do a little better with with their automation, customer service, right? Because in the service business, face-to-face is a big deal or person-to-person. And as they're trying to figure out ways they can automate, how do they know what resources are available to them? How do they go out on the marketplace and start shopping for these types of uh, resources? Yeah, I definitely know the trade space pretty well. Uh, Service Titan, who is like the CRM yep. or a platform. Yep, for very familiar with Service Titan. They're a longtime client of ours. So we build their okay. entire stack. So we do a lot of stuff with them. And then House Call Pro is also a former client of ours. We built a lot of their uh, infrastructure and stuff like that, or at least advise them on how to do it. So we definitely understand that. You know, I think when you're thinking about trades, right, one of the things that's easiest with the trades company is to try to go into one of the all-in-one platforms that can really help you do as much as you can. Um, naturally, if you're not technically inclined, it's going to be a little hard to connect everything together, leveraging Zapier or WorkAuto, whatever the tool may be. So we really do recommend people to use those cool platforms, whether it be a house call or a service Titan. Those tools are going to be really, really helpful. But the, the, the foundation, really, you have to choose some sort of marketing automation tool, which is going to enable you to accept a customer's request, be able to respond back to them saying, hey, thanks so much, we received your request. And then as that request is moved along the, the system, right, hey, this, this was completed, um, having a survey email go out to that person or having a, hey, review us on Google or having any of those types of automations are going to be really 
really, really helpful. And that's where a lot of companies we see are using products like ActiveCampaign, HubSpot, Autopilot to make it so they can try to automate some of those things that they would have to do in that customer journey and really keep those things uh, updated, right? So the, the goal is to try to always keep your customer and keep yourself top of mind with your customer. And that's where the marketing automation tool is really going to come into play. Oh, it's been 30 days since the person's last service. We should send them some sort of information or it's been three months since we've heard from this customer. We should send them something else. And that's where those automation tools really come in and help you out. I think small businesses have this hesitancy because, you know, sometimes margins are tight, right? And there seems like there's a software for everything that you could get something that does everything, right? Every aspect of your business. And so how do they decide that something is actually worth the cost? What are what are some things that go into making that decision? Yeah, for sure. I mean, naturally, you have to understand what are the objectives you're trying to accomplish? Like, what am I trying to do? And you have to first sure. look at the tools based upon those objectives. The second part of that is just trying to understand what is the opportunity that you're going to get out of that or the opportunity cost. I think a lot of businesses have a little bit of a problem because they automatically are like, oh, well, how much revenue am I going to make off of this? Right. Sometimes it's not about how much revenue you, you're going to make. It's how much cost are you going to save to get there. So you have to look Love at it. both yep. of those equations because that opportunity cost is really going to be what pays things off, not necessarily always the revenue. And then finally, you have to make sure that the tool is ultimately going to accomplish whatever you set out to do and whether you're going to be able to do it. I think the last thing that most people kind of kind of think about, especially if it's them building the tools, right? They're all excited. They know that they can do it. They'll take it on. But sometimes people forget, hey, they're going to force their team to maybe buy a tool. And that team is not going to be able to effectively use it. Uh, and we've seen that happen a lot of times where trades companies specifically will sign up for Salesforce or Salesforce CPQ and have this grand vision, but then have no real way to roll it out successfully. And then they wind up paying all this extra money for a solution they're not actually going to be able to use. So you really have to kind of think out the process uh, before you get it going, because you've got to get adoption of all these tools internally. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, you know, in a lot of businesses, people think that they, you know, their only option is to, you know, is top line revenue growth, right? That's, it's really common, right? They say, hey, look at our growth this year, our top line revenue, you know, we're growing at X percent or whatever. And I tell companies and business owners that you actually have a lot more control over what's underneath the top line than you do over the top line, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's somebody else spending money. If we're talking about top line growth, it's what is your company spending money on that affects everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you go in and you start getting really efficient with systems and people and and especially in a service based business, in most businesses, actually, the their personnel is their biggest cost. And so if yeah. you are going in there and you're saving time, you're saving all these other tangential costs also, right? Mm -hmm. The taxes, man, that's a big one. Payroll tax is a big one for a small business. Yeah. And if you're saving somebody time, you're saving taxes, right? But there's all these things that I think small businesses have a have a tough time grasping a hold of. And you mentioned like, you know, somebody looks at a system and they're like, how's that going to help my revenue? Well, it's not necessarily going to help your revenue, but it's going to help reduce some costs, right? And not only that, it's going to help reduce frustration of some of your employees, and if you reduce fr frustration with your employees, you're going to keep them longer. If you keep them longer, then there's all these great things that are happening within a company. Every year at a group of my companies, 
we we propose to our you know all of our upper level management hey we're going to have this meeting we want you to bring to this meeting all the things that your people are butting their head against all the all the frustrations that that you're having so that we can discuss systems to get rid of some of those frustrations right now we're running into some issues with tracking leads and you know customer communication and we're we're starting to develop our our own software for to solve certain problems what do you think of small businesses that aren't necessarily in the tech space developing software? Yeah. You know, if you're not, I mean, I think it's one, it's great. I mean, naturally at the end of the day, I mean, uh, while our company, like we're an agency as well, right at Magal.io, but we have, I think we own probably five or six different pieces of software that are custom and proprietary to us. And I wouldn't say that we're a tech company by any means, but yes, we're a tech company. So I think we blur the line. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for a lot of the companies, one, if you're going to roll your own software, one, make sure that nobody else on the market already has that. Uh, make sure there's nobody else doing it. And if they are doing it, why are you doing it yourself and not paying them? Because creating software is expensive. It's, mm-hmm. it's a never-ending journey. It's not like you create it and it just works forever. Yes, you can create it, but it's going to have bugs. Things are going to break. You're going to need a developer. So you know, I think that's one thing that I would always be cautious of is should you really be building this yourself? Um, but at the end of the day, I highly support people and building software that's going to help make their business better or even make their customers' business better. I mean, the in our third month of business, I think it was, when we opened the business back in 2015, we had already created our first Chrome extension because it was something that made our job easier and our clients' jobs easier. And it was just something that we we created. I think we paid somebody on Upwork like 500 bucks to, pay, to build the Chrome extension. Mm. So like it was an easy no-brainer. So I, I support people. I think more people should become more familiar with the software process the end of the day, software is going to eat the world. So like, you might as well get started now. So when you created this extension, do you, do you guys, and and that kind of sounds like kind of a smaller project than some of the, you know, other things that you're doing, but is it something that you guys offer on the marketplace? Like with some of your, you know, helping similarly placed companies, or are you guys keeping a lot of that just to be, you know, proprietary sources for you? Yeah, so the, the the first tool that we built was the effing amazing UTM builder, which is now a totally company, which is called UTM.io. So that little Chrome extension that we had created uh, six and a half years later has blossomed into its own company. Hmm. Um, so we never expected that. That was just something we put into the the Chrome store marketplace. We use all the time internally. We use it a lot with our customers. Uh, and that was kind of what we had planned to do. But I mean, we started out really, really simple as like, this is something that is, that's challenging us. We have to build UTM tracking codes for all of the links that we make and all that stuff and getting uh, our own team consistently making them and getting our client to make them consistently was just a problem that we face all the time. So we built the Chrome extension, gave it to our customers, helped them get it all set up. And then it was just something that we had used. Now, over time, it got got more and more popular as a free product. So we decided to turn it into a company and it's now called UTM.io. Um, but we have probably three or four other tools internally that we just use on our own. Um, we're developing right now our own personal notes tool um, that allows us to take notes on the web, kind of like a Google Doc, and then it sends notes out to everybody. But it's integrated in with Trello, which is our project management tool. Um, we have another Chrome extension, which allows us just to do A-B testing tracking. It's something we only use internally. Nobody else has access to it. Um, you can't find it in the store, but it enables us to be able to track all of our A-B testing experiments with our clients and document them quickly. Um, We have the Vice Framework, which is another internal product that we have, which helps us score all of our uh, projects and figure out where they're going to go. V stands for velocity, I impact, C confidence, E is for ease. It's just a ranking framework. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So a lot of the things that we have are built internally for our own team, for our use. Um, you know, our stack builder, which can be found on our website, it, it helps you build your MarTech stack and helps you put like uh, dotted lines ultimately to where data flows and how is it all orchestrated. That's a free product on our website. We use it internally as a sales product and like walking, working with our clients, but it's, it's publicly on our website. Anybody can use it anytime. It's something we intend to offer for free for a long time. So, you know, if you get good at creating software, like I have over the past 20 years, um, which I don't write code by any means at all, and I am not a developer, um, you can definitely build some really, really cool stuff that's going to kind of help your business go to that next level or help automate your business to that next level. So for businesses that are considering this, hey, man, I'm really missing this piece. There's nothing out there. Um, it's not super high budget. I think I can get it done. What recommendations do you have for them for one, finding a developer and two, working on that relationship? Because my guess is that that's an important part of continuing to develop, work out bugs, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Really, really uh, great question. I mean, we find a lot of developers and a lot of team members on Upwork. So I highly recommend using Upwork. Um, so Upwork has been a great resource for us. Um, even though you're you're opening yourself up to all these people, like you still have to be realistic. You've got to interview these people just like you'd be interviewing anybody, anybody else. Um, we highly recommend excuse me, we highly recommend to ask for references, people that you can actually mm -hmm. talk to, um, ask how their working relationships are. And then also try to make sure that you have some communications back and forth with whoever this person is. And then start out with some sort of test project and don't have your hopes set all that high, right? Like, don't give them the full enchilada and buy everything off the beginning. Give them a test project, have them do a small piece of it. So that way you can kind of figure out if you can work together uh, and really make sure it's going. And then one important tip that we highly recommend, especially when you're working on Upwork, a lot of people are going to be international, right? And I have right. developers all around the world. When you have developers that are international, it can be great if they speak good English, they're fluent and all that stuff. Um, but there's like some countries are better than others. We typically prefer a lot of developers out of the Ukraine, out of Russia. India is a little bit difficult. You're going to get cheaper development work, in our opinion, in many cases. Um, Ukraine is going to be a little bit better. One of my favorite countries to get development work is out of Brazil. Same time zone, same mm. color palette, which is also really, really important. Um, mm. And once again, it's, it's a little bit cheaper sometimes than you're going to find in the, in the States. So but I would take your time and start out small, figure out if it's going to be a good working relationship and then expand that relationship over time. Um, so that way you can really build that relationship with whoever it is. Yeah. It just seems like it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. Right. And I don't know that somebody that's developing a platform wants to bounce around a lot. Right. Mm. But I guess it comes down to like, what are you building? Right. Like at the end of the day, if you're building a small widget, like it's not that big of a deal. If you're building a big platform, it's totally different. But if you're building a big platform, like, you know, you might start with some people on Upwork, but you're going to have to find a team. Um, and if you reach out to me, I mean, my email is dan at magal.io. I'm happy to introduce you to any of the outsourcing firms that I work with for development. Um, yes, I have, my agency has a director of engineering that's based here in the States. We're hiring developers in the States, but half of our development comes out of another country. Love it. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about... Um, what are some of the mistakes that small businesses make specifically with marketing? What are, what are you seeing out there? What's common for, you know, I'm talking about a million less, maybe even $500,000 in revenue or less. What, what are some things that um, you might recommend to somebody that's just getting started? 
Well, the biggest mistake that we see happening in marketing at any business size, especially with the small businesses, is that they treat marketing like it's a diet, right? It's something that you do once or twice a year. Um, and you know what? When it becomes uncomfortable, I stop doing it, right? Those are the companies that are going to fail the most at marketing. Marketing is really like a lifestyle, right? You've got to be consistent with it. You've got to wake up every day and do it. You've got to be able to add it to your regimen and you've got to keep doing it. Um, that's the biggest thing about marketing that we see people really fail at is being consistent with it. And I will say this, it's hard. I mean, if you're a business doing less than a million a year, it can be really hard to find the time to keep doing marketing. Um, that's one reason why it's helpful to all find contractors that can help you do some of this mm -hmm. stuff, take off some of the work off of your plate. Um, but you really just, you have to stay consistent with it because there's never going to, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like uh, investing in the stock market, right? You have this compounding interest, which is going to help you ultimately be successful. And if you just aren't consistent with it, you're, you're never going to get that compounding interest. You're never going to wind up with a million dollars in the bank. Uh, so you really have to focus on getting that consistency going. And that's where I would say the, the contractors can really push you forward is if you find good contractors, they'll help make you consistent. Yeah, I think a lot of small businesses, they see the price tag and they're expecting immediate results. They're expecting immediate mm. great results, right? Um, what do you say to somebody that's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a pay-per-click campaign or I'm going to start, you know, whatever, an email campaign, social media, whatever. And um, I expect immediate results. What do, you, what do you say to somebody like that? It was nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> um, like, thanks for coming. Um, right. You know, out of, out of all of these campaigns, and, and I've worked at plenty of uh, amazing companies that have done a ton of campaigns. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There's campaigns that we push out there and they immediately drive results and there's instant gratification. But those really aren't the, the big campaigns that make the company successful. So you really have to understand that in most cases, you're looking at a three to six month process to finally get to results. Mm. Whether you're doing an email strategy, whether you're doing a press strategy, whether you're doing social media, yeah, there's going to be constant like pushes you're going to get from time to time. But for you to really start to hone in on what's driving success of that, you're looking at a three to six month minimum. With PPC in general, it takes three months just to get up and running, right? Yeah. So you're not going to see real results until six months in. And that can be hard for people to really understand. But it's like, when you started your business, was it successful on day one or did you kind of have to like work at it a little bit and right. move around? Marketing's the same way. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's it's not one of those things. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of this, you know, running a social media campaign right now. And well, we're six, eight weeks in, nothing, right? And it's like, mm. man, I, you know, put a lot of money into this and I was expecting at least something. And, but I think a lot of waste goes into, just continuing to shift gears as opposed to let's continue, let's, let's see it out. Right. And I think it's helpful for entrepreneurs to say that in the beginning, Hey, you know, I'm basically going to put the blinders on. We're going to run this for three months, four months. And what happens happens, right? I'm not going to pull the plug. I'm not going to monitor it every day. Cause, cause I think that will eat at you, right? You're yeah. looking at, you know, whether you're, you're hitting those numbers or whatever, but I think that's you know a huge part of of marketing is is patience, and I think where where marketing has brought us today has kind of made us impatient, right? Back in the day when it was you know TV ads, radio ads, yellow pages, right? It wasn't the somebody searches, they call me, right? I guess yellow pages could be that way, but there was a lot more brand marketing, marketing and development and stuff like that. But where do you see marketing headed? 
where's it headed? What? Because yeah. I think a big part is like, I always wish that I was paying for clicks, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I wish I was kind of in front of the social media w- wave five, six years ago, whatever. Yeah. Our companies kind of get ahead of this wave, get kind of get some traction. Where do you think it's headed? You know, I think content marketing is going to remain to be something that's extremely, extremely popular out there. So I think content marketing is, of course, is something that you want to invest in. I'm still making money off of blog posts or webinars that Hmm. I did five years ago. Really? So I highly recommend for companies to really invest in their content marketing. Um, I think SEO, of course, is something that's always going to be there. Google's not going anywhere. You know, I think that's going to be helpful. I think video is becoming more and more popular, but I think there's a high bar to entry in regards to video. The things like TikTok and stuff like that, smaller bite-sized content is, of course, becoming really, really popular. But hands down, I think content marketing is going to be knowledge and education is going to be still the best form of marketing for the next 10 to 20 years. That content is then going to become more personalized to us and our specific situations as personalization and artificial intelligence gets more and more popular. But I really do think content marketing by far is the, the cheapest longest, most lasting and best marketing thing you're going to have for for a good period of time. And that's blog posts, YouTube, podcasts like this. They're things that keep on giving. Unlike PPC, once once you're out of $100, it's off, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not doing anymore. So same with direct mail, same with many of these other advertising mediums. But if you look at one of our blog posts, right? Like it drives 20,000 visits a month and it's been doing that for two to three years. Um, And yes, we update it once a year based upon some competitors and stuff like that. But The amount of money we invested in that to the amount of return that we get, I think is extremely exponential. And that's why I say still in the future, I think content marketing is going to be one of the big channels for especially smaller businesses. You know, what's funny is that content marketing doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money, right? You can do it fairly cheap. Um, Now there's videos you can do at whole production and whatever, Yeah. but there's a way to do it within a budget. But I think what's happening is People are right now, and I'm falling victim to this too. We we feel like we just need to put something out there, regardless of quality. There just needs to be yeah. something, right? And that's not going to gain any traction. You know, everything's getting flooded right now. And so, what what tips do you have for businesses to make sure that they're not just you know just coming up with something on the fly? Um, and they're actually producing content because I'm assuming that when you talk about content marketing, you're talking about good content, thoughtful content, useful content. Because those twenty thousand visitors that you're getting to your website each month, they're not they're not getting there because over the years that you know that hasn't retained its value. Yeah, no, for sure, and we've added to it to make sure it retains its value. You know, you have to think like I, there's a blog post that we have on our website, like how to build a lead generating content strategy. Uh, if you went to, if you search like Maga, how to build a lead generating content strategy in a blog post on our site, I break down the exact way that we go through building our SEO to understand like, what are the keywords we need to rank for? What are the keywords we need to write for? And then as well as like, then how do we go through and design a post? At the end of the day, you want to find the top 10 posts. So let's just say like, and I'll just use a stupid example. So like how to make a bed, right? Like how do you make mm-hmm. a bed? Obviously there's a thousand blog posts out there. There's a hundred YouTube videos out there. You need to go read the top 10 posts that come back when you search for that. And you need to go watch the top 10 videos. And then what you need to do is find out what's missing in every single one of those and then add them to your post. And then make your post 
like 10 times better than whatever everybody else had, right? You've got to figure out what are the things they're missing? How can I make this better? And you really do have to push that quality bar even higher. And that's going to be something that really kind of sets you apart from everybody else. And that's something we do with almost every single blog post that we have, trying to figure out, hey, what are other people ranking for? How is their content good? How do I give my flavor to this, right? Like, how do I make this sound authentically us? Uh, And then how do I make it extremely qualitative? And a lot of that is by adding things in which weren't brought into the other posts, um, adding more words and keywords and stuff like that is always a helpful part of it. But you really just have to make high quality content. And um, if you're not a good writer, that's okay. Half of my blog posts that I have, I'm, I'm attributed to started as a webinar, right? Because I'm really, I can talk all day long. It mm-hmm. started as a webinar. We did the webinar. We had it transcribed and then hired a, a writer off of Upwork and then had that Upworker turn that webinar into mm. a blog post. And it made it really, really easy. And then, you know, and I'll use an example. My, my book, Build Cool Shit, which was super awesome. The premise of that started from a blog post, or excuse me, premise of a webinar got turned into a blog post. And we're like, this is doing really good. Huh. You know, I've got to write a book. Let's, let's expound upon this and turn that into my book. And you know, the process wasn't extremely hard because I know stack, right? I know how to build stuff. I know the tech stack. So I could talk about it all day long. But that's where the writer really came into play because I'm not the best writer in the world. So are you saying that like, you, you know, somebody in a, let, let's say they own a small car dealership or something that they just go go online hey g- google you know what what's the best selling car or something like that something within their industry see what the top articles are about that see what they're missing and kind of direct their content into that empty space yeah take take the basis of those other blog posts right and then add to those so that way like write out like don't plagiarize them but of course like come up with your own blog post mm-hmm. and it, make sure to add whatever missing information there is to that. So that way you can make it even better. I love that. I love that idea. I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. I think a lot of times people, what people are doing is as opposed to seeing what's missing, we'll kind of try to try to just mimic what has already been done. Yeah. Right. And I don't think you're going to get traction that way. Yeah. It's okay to mimic what you've already done, but you've got to add multiple things that are missing from it to make it even better. Because if it's not, if you're just mimicking somebody else, you're going to wind up ranking next to them or underneath of them, right? Because you're just mimicking them. But if you take some of what they have and then you add a bunch more to it, that's going to be when you outrank them for those search terms. So if you're, you, you know, you brought up a really good point and you're, you're kind of integrating SEO in a way when we're talking about content marketing. Yeah. Um, if somebody's like, hey, my keywords are vehicles, transmissions, clutch, right? Do do they want to start and those are the things they want to rank for, right? Mm-hmm. Within this whatever geo. Do they want to kind of take those words, go research what's out there and kind of develop their content around those those words in a blog post or or other content? Is that going to It sounds like it might do two things for them. It might it sounds like it might help help with their SEO but also produce better content at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the best way to think about when you're trying to attract people for your service, right? What are the questions you get asked every single time by your customers, right? So if you're dealing with clutches and transmissions and stuff like that, like, what do I do when my Mm -hmm. trust, my, my transmission goes out, right? And then have a blog post that explains that. I mean, I used to run a, uh, another, I owned a mobile app company, which uh, did cheap gas. So help people find cheap gas. Mm -hmm. And our most popular blog posts were about roadside assistance, Right. Huh. And people, because they're always searching for roadside assistance. Now, 
our app provided you the knowledge of where to get cheap gas and where to get discounts at gas stations. However, if you were needed roadside assistance, you would find us, but that was your way of being introduced to our app, right? And then we'd be like, we'll download the app. We'll get you to the closest gas station that can help you. But you really want to figure out like, what are the questions that people are going to ask that are going to be tangential to my business or either directly about my business um, that have those keywords in it? And then of course, then do your researching off of that. Because if you at the end of the day, Google and YouTube, the two most popular search engines on the internet, what is the number one thing people do on it? They ask questions. So mm. at the end of the day, your blog post should probably be in the form of a question and your blog post is the answer to that, right? So um, yes, use those keywords. Like when you talk about a clutch, like how do I know my clutch is bad? That's going to be a blog post which is going to help you. Do that Google search. You'll find the five top blog posts and you'll see everything they wrote. And then you'll be like, oh, well, nobody's talking about this from Honda's perspective. And I specialized in Honda. So how do we add Honda to this now? Right. So that's going to be where you can really double down on that. You know, what's interesting is that entrepreneurs kind of what we're doing is we are solving problems, right? We are, we, the goal is to create solutions that don't exist yet. That's like the ultimate goal or provide a service at a level that it's not being provided at yet, right? And so the way yeah. that you're framing this, you know, this content creation model, it's the same thing, right? People out there have questions and you have to add that value. You have yeah. to produce something that's not just you're you know, you're spitting something out just to get something down, get something on your blog, but you are you have to find out one, what are the questions people are are asking what what are those questions what are what are things that I can do to add value to help answer those questions and how is that going to work within our marketing plan i mean that it it makes a lot of sense when you when you put it that way and i know that my listeners right now hopefully you're all thinking okay what are questions people are asking that i know something about what are things that people yeah. don't know what things do people not know that i can kind of at least point them in the right direction um, and just find those those kind of holes in the market. As we're wrapping up here, how specific? Because it seems like if you just keep drilling down further and further and further, eventually you'll find a niche that there isn't a lot out there. You know, you were talking about Hondas. Maybe they drill down to like you know Civics, and then you talk about Civics from the 1970s to 1973, right? How useful is it to drill down to like that specific of content creation? Yeah, I mean, it can definitely be really, really helpful, but it can also be detrimental. You want to make sure that like, and using Google's Keyword Planner, right? And this is something I talked about in that blog post is you can figure out how to use the Google Keyword Planner. And you can literally type in the keywords and stuff like that and see how many people are searching for something. And at the end of the day, if you get too niche and nobody's searching for it, you definitely aren't going to really like have a lot of success there. So you want to make sure that you still keep it kind of high level. The Google Trends tool. So if you look at Google Trends, you can put in any keyword and it will tell you this search volume for that keyword or search term or whatever, um, that will really help you understand if you've kind of pushed yourself too far into a corner and you're kind of too far down there. There's a, a book called Chosen, which is all about entrepreneurship, but like choosing the right course to make. Uh, it's a great book, but it talks about how do you find these terms that you can really write content around. It'll get you enough movement, but there's not already a ton of competitors on it. So you, you definitely don't want to go too niche to the, where you're talking to two people. The more niche you can get and build a cluster of to topics around that, the better off you'll be. I love it. Well, Dan, where can people find out more? You left us your email address earlier. Where can people find more about find out more about what you're doing, all the great things you're doing in marketing and MarTech 
you know, find out more about you? How, how can people connect? Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing I would recommend is I'd love everybody to get an opportunity to get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit. So if you pull out your cell phone, right, I'll give you a number and you can text this. There'll be some cool marketing tech for you. One, pull out your cell phone, go to your text messages, text the number 415-915-9011. I'll say it again, 415-915-9011. Just text the word MarTech to that and a text bot will follow up with you so that way you can get a free copy of my book and we'll send it to you directly. That will put you on our newsletter as well. So that way you can get access to any of our information. But most people find me on LinkedIn. So if you just look up Dan Maga on LinkedIn, or if you go to our website, maga.io, that's naturally one of the best places you'll be able to find all of our content and resources. I love it. All right, Dan. Well, it's been a, it's been a privilege. It's nice chatting with people that just know a lot more than I do about certain things. I'll definitely be reaching out in the future, but it's been a pleasure. And you know, thanks for sharing just a bit of what, of what you know. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time. Mm